moved with a cleaner. It's permanent. It's there forever. Mount St. Helens left an indelible mark on the surrounding landscape in Washington, the state of Washington. And if you look, you can go on, on, on Google and look at Mount St. Helens before and after pictures. And it's dramatic, the explosion of that volcano and how it desecrated the surrounding landscapes and just wiped everything out. And it's forever left a scar that has yet to be healed in a way, you could say. It's, it's, it's not fully recovered. Even many years later, it's left its mark. Floods, tornadoes, uh, natural disasters leave a mark in the earth. They leave a, 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 an impression there that, that tell of some great event that happened there. People often leave a mark in your life. We use that word, uh, they left a mark, or we use that expression to talk about the impact somebody has had on another person's life. Historical people have left their mark in society to which you could just say their name and their, what they did is, is somewhat commemorated by just the mention of their name. For example, people like Abraham Lincoln. You might say that name and think, oh, you know, the Emancipation Proclamation. You might think of other great things that he did that he was known for. Uh, likewise, other people have left another mark on society that may not be good. Someone like Adolf Hitler. You say that name and in instantly there's a different set of emotions, a different set of feelings, a different set of impressions that come with this name because he left a mark. Not a good one, but it, it was there. Whether it was good or bad, it was there. And so we, we can see how people can leave their mark, their engraving, if you will, on society. Uh, family and loved ones often leave a mark in our life. Often leave a mark that is impossible to remove. It's impossible to remove. Mothers and fathers leave a mark on their children, whether they mean to or not, <laughs> whether they intend to leave a good one or not, parents will leave a mark, an engraving on their children. If I, if I say to you, think of your favorite teacher, I'm sure that there's been a name that has already come to your mind because your brain remembers the ones that left a positive mark. For me, there were teachers like Mr. Griffin, Mr. Marchand, Monsieur Marchand in French class, Madame Romanchuk. These are school teachers that left a mark on my life. They made an impression. Uh, I, when I was in Bible school, there was others like Brother Griffin and Brother Merrick and Sidney Poe, Brother Poe, that they left a mark, an impression on my life because oftentimes it wasn't they prepared well for the class, you know. It was never the, the lesson, right? It was never the math lesson, the English lesson, the, the Bible prophecy lesson. It wasn't any of those things that left a mark. What left a mark was how they looked me in the eye and remembered my name and, and made me feel important or prayed with me, you know, in those moments of prayer at Bible school where sometimes classes would 
would uh, dissolve into a prayer meeting because the presence of the Lord would move within our class and the teacher would leave his podium and come down and begin to pray with the students. Those were moments that left an impression. They engraved upon me something wonderful that to this day remains. The Stanley Cup, which the Toronto Maple Leafs will unfortunately not have the privilege to fight for anymore. Not that I was rooting hard, but I mean, it was nice to see they were making it past the first round. But so the Stanley Cup has on it the names of the winning players and coaches, management and uh, club staff engraved on the chalice. And if you win, you get your name engraved on the Stanley Cup. Cool. War monuments commemorate and leave an engraving on the lives of those who have given. Whatever the case, in however way it happens, when something's engraved, it's there for a very long time. God instructed his people in Joshua chapter 4. Joshua said unto them, Pass over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take up ye every man a stone on his shoulder according to the number of tribes of the children of Israel, that this might be signed to you that when your children ask their fathers in the time to come, saying, What mean ye by these stones? Then ye shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it passed over Jordan. The waters of the Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be for a memorial unto the children of Israel forever. See, the idea of making something a memorial or an important thing, an engraving, is, is actually not original with humanity, but it is God's idea. The goal in this case was God wanted the, the nation to have something that would wash away with the tide, something that would not wash blown over with the nation, something that was permanent, something that was a memorial, something that was established that they could go back and say, this is where the Lord has delivered us. This is how God has helped us. This is our place of a memorial. In 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12, we see another example where Samuel the prophet takes a stone and he says, I'm going to set it between Mizpah and Shen and call the name of the stone Ebenezer, saying, hitherto, hath the Lord helped us. See, the nation had just seen a great miracle of God. They, they had been called together. The nation leaders were called together, and Samuel tells them if they wanted the blessings of God, they needed to repent and return to God. And the nation did. They gathered together in prayer and began to pray and respond to the call from the prophet to turn their lives back to God. And while they were yet praying, the Philistines looked upon them. Their scouts saw the opportunity. The nation's engaged in a religious event. They're distracted. They're not focused on defending their borders. This is our opportunity. And the Bible says the Philistines came and launched an attack against the people of Israel. But when, they, uh, when Samuel learns of the treachery, soldiers formed battle lines immediately and the Philistines were defeated. And a great victory resulted in Israel because the nation turned to God to repent. To mark this great occasion, Samuel erects a stone in between Mizpah and Shen and calls the name of the stone Ebenezer. The name Ebenezer means the help of the Lord. 
for thus far has the Lord helped us. We need Ebenezer's in our life. We need stones, memorials, places that we can go back to. For me, it's a park in Bowmanville on Liberty Street called Memorial Park, where my parents took me and we had a come to Jesus conversation there under the big tree in that park where anytime we, we were actually there yesterday, we were driving home and we had to, we had to pull off the 401 because the kids were getting a little too much in the back seat. And I said, listen, we're going to have a come to Jesus conversation. And it's funny, I pulled off the 401 right on the same street, Memorial Park. And I thought, well, this is iconic. This is, this is, uh, I'm going to give them a new Ebenezer, but they're not going to like this Ebenezer. They're, they're not going to like this memorial. So we're, we pulled into PV Mart there and uh, we had our little come to Jesus conversation in the back lot of the PV Mart in Bowmanville. And for them, hopefully they won't look back at the PV Mart and say, man, that's, this, is the, this is the come to Jesus location. But for me, there, there was an Ebenezer erected in my life in Bowmanville. My parents got me out of high school early. They said, you know what, we need to talk. We need to, you, we need, you need to get some things right in your life. And I, I look back on that moment as a teenager, and I was terrified, pulled out of French class. I didn't even take my binder with me. Everything was left there. When I got there to school at Bowmanville High the next day, the, the book was still open in my French class, right where I left it. Because my parents pulled me out of school to take me to a park to say, look, you need to get your life straight with Jesus. And you, I appreciate that moment. That's an Ebenezer in my life that up until that point, God intervened in my life and intersected me on a path where I was not wanting to go. I did not need to be going down, but God intersected me there through the love of my parents and said, look, you need to get back on the straight road. Don't get off the side streets. Don't get off into these things that you're, you're into right now. You need to get right with God and get your life straight with the Lord. And it was, that was a turning point in my life. That is an Ebenezer for me. To where that, that place, that, that very location erects feelings of, of appreciation and love. And yes, the correction is there. It's that bittersweet mixture. But it was the memorial that, that that park has represented for me a place of turning in my life. There's moments where I can look back to at, at the old Orland campgrounds. With my back up, I was, the service had ended. I think the preacher was from New, um, New Brunswick. And uh, he preached a message about the angel wings on the Ark of the Covenant, how they touched and they, meet, they met and the glory of the Lord visited there and that was his text, and that was he was talking about the calling of God and the presence of the Lord on your life, and and uh, you know there's a covering and an overshadowing over you, and uh, all these things. I can't remember all the texts, but but I was laid out in the altar, praying and crying, crying and lay, pouring my heart out to God, and it was with my back up against the 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 pulpit there. I was on the floor, sitting down, my legs extended out. I was just tired and praying and crying and. Someone, Sister uh, McKenzie, Rhonda McKenzie came by and mosquitoes were horrible at Orland Campground. And I was in a t-shirt and she's spraying the, the off on my arm while I'm praying. And she's praying for me, anointing me with off. <laughs> Not with oil, with off. 
<laughs> and praying for me at the same time so I could still get my blessing and not leave with a, a boatload of mosquito bites. That's an Ebenezer for me. That's a memorial. And I'm, I'm sharing with you some of my Ebenezers because I'm sure that some of you have places you can say, this is where God met me. This is, my, this is my Bethel moment. This is my Ebenezer moment when God intersected my life and, and touched me and changed me. We sing songs like, Jesus, I'll never forget what you've done for me. Or how can I forget what you've done for me? Precious memories, how they linger, how they ever flood my soul. Look what the Lord has done. We sing these Songs, and maybe not so much anymore, but we used to sing them a lot more often. Maybe we'll start again. But these are those old songs that talk about the goodness of the Lord. And uh, your goodness is running after me. With my life laid down, I surrender. Now I give you everything because your goodness is running after me. One man said to his music teacher, he said, well, what's the good news, teach? And the old man didn't. Didn't answer with much, but he went over to the old piano and picked up a tuning fork. If you've ever seen those, they're little forks that if you hit it, it strikes a note. And he struck the tuning fork and he said, that is A. That's the note A. He said, it's A today, and it was A a thousand years ago. And it will be A 10,000 years from now. When the soprano upstairs sings off key and the tenor across the hall sings flat. All his high notes on the piano go down the stairs uh, and out of tune. This will still be A. And that, my friend, is the good news for today. There is something constant. There is something firm. There is something that's anchored. There is something that's assured. And in his name is Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 8 says, Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. Your life is going to go through ups, and I'm sorry to say it, my friend, but your life is going to go down. There is going to be tough times. There is going to be difficulty. You are not promised a life of ease and luxury. Hardship and trial are a part of the human existence. It's part of our struggle. It's part of our world. We're not in paradise and uh, for those of you that keep trying to make this your paradise, you are fighting a losing battle. Uh, quit trying to make your life like heaven. And instead of trying to bring heaven down to earth, why don't you just make your life right so you can go to heaven? Quit trying to live this world and make this world your perfect little oyster. It's never going to be that. There's always going to be a trouble. There's always going to be a trial. You can work your life to the bone. You can be like Steve Jobs and eat all the right foods and, and do all the right things, still get cancer and die. You can, I'm, I'm, I don't want to be negative Nelly here this morning, but I'm just pointing out the reality. You can do all the right things and still lose it. You can do all the right things and still lose your life and still get into a car accident. Something can still happen that you weren't anticipating. You, you, can, you can wear your safety helmet and ride safely on the road and still fall off your bike and break your wrist. Like I, I'm just living proof that this life is not guaranteed but there is something you can anchor yourself in there is a place you can find rest in and that is 
in Jesus. He has outlasted the most proud of kings. And the emperors that thought their reign would never come to an end have been all but forgotten. And their, their names sketchily recorded in, in, in defragmentizing papers uh, and parchments that are held together by the, the science of museums across the world. But that's all that's left of their rule. That's all that's left of their name and their reputation. It's all etched in a stone or on a parchment somewhere, but they're nowhere to be found and their reign is not influencing the world today. But Jesus, He is the King that is above every King. He is the Lord that is above every Lord's and He lives and still rules today. Amen. And He has made an indelible impression on our lives. I heard a quote that says, God can't be everywhere, so He made mothers. Well, I challenge that idea, and I think it's more like God can be everywhere, so he made mothers to prove it. <laughs> mothers are an important part of God's engraving on society. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5 says, I called to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which first dwelt in thy grandmother Lois and in thy mother Eunice. Paul writes a letter to his protege, Timothy. And he says, I want you to remember the unfeigned faith, the faith that did not fail, the unwavering faith of your mother and your grandmother. Now, I, I, I noticed this, that Paul called to remembrance the faith of his mother and grandmother, not the faith of his father. And a study in church history and whatever you can find on the subject. It's very sparse and limited, but it's suspected that either Timothy's dad had passed away at an early age, was one option, that he was not a believer at all, that he was Greek and not a believer, or that he was out of the picture somehow. Because surely in this society, in the patriarchal society that Timothy and Paul grew up in, Dad's faith would have been something to make note of and mark, but it was not the case. It was the case that grandmother and mother carried the faith torch in the home. And I think, by the way, for the, the men in the room, dads, be sure that your faith torch is lit high and strong for your kids to see. Be sure that your faith in God is on display. Don't, don't take a back seat or a passive seat in the, the influence. But I also want to note here that it was the faith of Lois and Eunice that was what carried Timothy through his dark times. It was in, in this moment that Paul highlights and commemorates the faith of a mother. I think... If you look through the Bible, you'll see instances of mothers who, whose faith carried their children through difficult circumstances. I think of Jochebed, Jochebed, the mother of Moses. Not much is said about her except that when, when she was told to kill her child, she hid him until he could be concealed no longer. And then she made a basket and she pitched it with tar and she set it in the reeds of the Nile to keep the baby from crying. And Moses was discovered by Pharaoh's daughter, and Pharaoh's daughter decided to adopt Moses into her home. And Jochebed sends Miriam after Pharaoh's daughter and says, go and tell Pharaoh's daughter, ask if she needs a nurse 
to nurse the child. And God arranges it so that Miriam goes up to the Pharaoh's daughter and says, do you need a nurse for this baby? I see that you've adopted a new baby, but do you need someone to care for it? And, and she said, yes, I'll, uh, send the baby to this lady and I'll come and collect him when he's finished nursing. So typically nursing in these days was anywhere between two and five years. They nursed for that long because that was just the standard. And five years was probably the extension. It probably was too much, but it most likely was somewhere between three and four years that Jochebed had with baby Moses. And it's interesting to me that that's all the spiritual education Moses had in the God of his fathers. That's it. At the most, it was five years. And that's stretching it. Because she said, bring him back when he's weaned, when he's finished nursing, bring him back to the palace. I say that at the most, Jochebed had four years to disciple Moses. And in four years, she instilled enough God and faith in Moses that when Moses was 33 years old, he said, I'm going back to the faith of my fathers. He knew enough to say, I'm, I'm going to fight for my people. And he had seen the Jews beaten and mistreated in all these years, right up into his 30s. He remembered who he was, all because of that little window of nursing at the breast of his mother for maybe four years, maybe four years. And I think at every moment she had, Jacobed knew, I have a timeline with this child. I have a short window, and i got to put it in. Every time we're sitting down, we're going to talk. Every time we're standing up, but mom, you can't possibly think that a two-year-old, listen, they know more than you, they think you know. Just because they can't spit it back to you doesn't mean they're not receiving it. And she put enough in him in the space of four years that when he was 30 some odd years old, he took up a stone. Now he was misguided all those years away, left him a little misguided that he thought killing was the answer. Uh, he killed a, an Egyptian soldier who was beating his people and then ran into the desert until he was 80-something. So he, 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 he missed some important lessons along the way. But there was enough faith put into him in that four-year period that carried him and helped him make the decisions that he made as an adult. I'm here to let the moms in the house know you may have just a four years left with your child. You may have seven years left. I don't know how old each and every one of your kids are, but at whatever time frame you have, do not think that your influence is not important. It is enough to make an impact in that child's life. Your time is not wasted. Make an impression. Engrave on their heart the Word of God. Engrave on their heart a love for the things of God. Do what you can to show them love and joy and the happiness that comes from serving the Lord. Do what you can. And, and, and I know moms are plagued with the it's not enough phrase. 
I'm not doing enough. I'm, there, there's a constant barrage on, on, on women and mothers today to, to feel inadequate and like, I, I wish I was doing more and I wish I was doing more. Don't discount what you are doing. If you're doing something, you're doing something to engrave on that child something permanent that will last. It will last. If it lasted for Moses between the ages of zero and four, then whatever you do in engraving on your children the things of God, it will stick. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he won't depart from it. I want to take a slight turn. Because while mothers have the powerful influence of impacting their children, fathers do too. Fathers are irreplaceable. Mothers have a powerful impact, yet, yet the Bible does acknowledge the fact that, that as, as we, not all moms are perfect. And there's unfortunately moms who are, for one, whatever reason they are, they're, they're not doing what they perhaps would like to do or what they should do or whatever the case is. And there's scriptures about that. I want to read for you in Isaiah chapter 49, verse 14. But Zion said, this is the city of Jerusalem or the people of God. They said, the Lord has forsaken me and my Lord hath forgotten me. See, the, the people of Israel had for, forsaken God. And when they forsake God, God kind of lets them go their own way. And then they get off. You know, it's kind of like a little kid getting lost in the mall and they get themselves lost and then cry and get upset when they can't find mom anymore. But they were the ones that wandered off in the first place. That's kind of what Israel's doing. Israel's wandered off and can't find God in the place that they're at because when you wander away from the Lord, he'll let you go. He's not going to chain you to the church. And so in Isaiah 49, the people begin to cry out to God, but they're saying, God, you've forsaken us. You've left us. You've, you've abandoned us. And sometimes when the suffering from the effects of our own mistakes come, we blame God. When Sometimes we need to look in the mirror and say, well, I've actually walked away from my walk with the Lord. And, and the Lord responded to them. He said, can a woman forget her sucking child? Can a woman forget, can a mother forget the child that she's nursing and caring for? That she should not have compassion on the son of her womb. God calls to mind the most intense bond in all of humanity between a mother and her child, her nursing child. There is something supernatural, if you will, about the bond between a mother and her child. There is a bond that is deeper than we can probably quantify in science between a mother and her nursing child. And Isaiah says, is it possible for a mother to forget her nursing child? Is it possible? Is it possible? No, not likely. It's highly irregular. And something is very wrong medically with that mother, if she forgets about her nursing baby. Mainly because the baby won't let her forget. But aside from that, there is something that, you know what it was? It was when the kids were, would finally get to sleep, 
right? After months and months and months of not sleeping, my wife would lay awake and say, why aren't they crying? After months and months of the baby crying, and she saying, I just wish they would let me sleep one night, just one night. And finally the baby goes, okay, mom, I'll give you the one night. And the one night they give the baby, the baby gives mom sleep. She's like, Joel, go check on the baby, see if they're breathing. They're not crying. Why aren't they crying? Like, babe, go to sleep. The baby's not crying. This is what you've been praying for. I know, but they should be crying. Why aren't they crying? How come they're not? Because a mother can't forget her sucking child. She, she, there's something built into her that says you cannot forget about your baby. But the Lord said, even if it's possible, and it is, for a mother to forget about her child, I will never forget about you. There's, God says, as deep as the bond between a mother and her child is, I will never forget about my people. As deep and as long and as wide as that bond is, that seems to be unbreakable and is, because it is rather unbreakable. Children can be the most ill-mannered, ruthless tyrants and yet still soften, smile, and give their mom a hug, and it's all over. It's all forgiven. The tantrum's forgotten about, and, and there's something irresistibly lovely about that mother bond, that mother-child bond. And God says, as deep as that bond is, I will never forget about you. And then he tells them why. In verse 16, Behold, I have graven thee upon the palm of my hands. It's interesting, Jehovah of the Old Testament speaking here centuries before Jesus would ever walk the face of the earth. And he says to Israel, he says, I will never forget you and there is a reason why I have put you a permanent mark in my hands. God was speaking prophetically of something that would come to pass years and years later. When a man who was not just a man would walk down a road to a hill called Golgotha and would walk up that hill carrying with him his own cross on the back that was ripped to shreds by the cat of nine tails and the crown of thorns that was pressed into his brow. It was that, that God-man that would walk up that lonely road to Golgotha and lay down on a cross, the Bible says, like a lamb before his shearers is dumb. So Jesus uttered not a word while he was being crucified. And he allowed them to beat the nails into both of his hands and his feet. What God was doing in that moment was he was forever engraving in his hands marks that would remind him of you and of me. He would put in his hands and his feet marks that would remind him of his church. He would write our names into the palms of his hands with the nails and the, the beatings that he took on the cross because there was something that he needed to do to engrave upon himself something that he would never forget was the beatings and the, the merciless nails of the cross. It's possible for a mother to forget her child. 
may be very unlikely and unusual, but it's possible. Yet in the extreme event that a mother could forget about her child, Jesus says there's no possible way that I could ever forget about you. If you ever go through something and you feel like you're alone, you feel like you're by yourself, you feel like God has forgotten your address and he doesn't know your name anymore and he doesn't particularly care about your situation, just remember what the Bible says. God says if it's possible for a mother to forget her child, it's even less possible for me to forget about you because I have taken the nails into my hands and my feet for you. I have etched your name into my hands with the nails that have paid for your sins. He took upon himself the greatest of all sufferings so that we could be liberated, not from all suffering, but ultimately from the penalty of sin. See, there's something worse than dying of cancer. There's something worse than dying of a heart disease. There's something worse than an illness that would ravage your body with pain and suffering until you die your last breath. There is something far worse than that, and that's to be separated from your God for all of eternity. There's something worse than even 80 years of pain and loneliness and heartache and failure and trial. There's something far worse than that and that's being separated from your maker for all of eternity and so Jesus said I'll take upon myself the greatest of all things I will put upon myself the price of sin and pay for it myself with the marks in my hands and in my feet he has engraved you upon his hands when he looks at his hands he remembers your name when he looks at his feet he remembers who you are he knows knows your name and he knows your place. God has not forgotten you. How could he? He has written your name on his nail-scarred hands. Therefore, Jesus says, if you'd stand with me as we close, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, what you shall drink, nor yet for the body what it is to put on. Is life not more than meat? Is the body more than raiment. Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor do they gather into the barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? What Jesus ultimately says to us in this passage is, if God clothes the grass of the field which is there today and gone tomorrow, how much more will he clothe you? Don't Take thought for your life. God is with you. He has not forgotten you. He remembers your name. He remembers where you are. He remembers what you're going through. I wonder if there's somebody here this morning that you need that, that little bit of encouragement and strength in prayer. Would you find a place of prayer as we close just this morning to give and surrender your heart again to the Lord? Maybe you find a place of prayer in your seat or here at the front, wherever you feel comfortable. Would you just talk to Jesus? He hasn't forgotten about you. He hasn't forgotten where you live, but he knows exactly what you're facing this morning. Hallelujah, Jesus. Would you take some time to pray as we just sing and play a little bit this morning? He knows where you are. He knows what you're facing. He hasn't forgotten about you this morning.
with you I've been so, so good with every breath that I am able I will sing of the goodness of God Your goodness is running after it's running after bless our mothers this morning and bless our lives as we walk through this life and we go through things. Lord, go with us and walk with us through the difficult moments. Walk with us through the difficult trials. You're there. You promised you would be there. and We, we rest in that promise this morning. I pray, God, your blessing on mothers today. Bless them and their families. Use them mightily for your glory. In Jesus' name. God bless you this morning. Have a great Mother's Day. And uh, just want to mention quickly, uh, we do, there is a youth convention that's coming up. Um, and it's, uh, it's going to be this, I think it's this weekend. Check your calendar. I think it's the, uh, um, uh, no, it's next weekend. Sorry. So you don't, you don't want to miss it. It's going to be really, really great. Um, no, it is this Friday. This Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Uh, I just had to check my phone really quick to make sure. But uh, check out, you want to make it to at least one service. It's going to be so awesome. It's right here in Oshawa at the Embassy Church on Totten Road. Um, and, and if you need to register for the Friday, Saturday, you can do that online. Look at the bulletin. All the details are there, service times. The services on Sunday are, are free. There is no charge to get in the building on Sunday. We are going to have our regular service here. In fact, a friend of mine, John Bussey, is going to be here. And he's uh, up here for Youth Convention. And he's going to speak. He's going to minister to us. And you're going to be blessed by his ministry this Sunday coming. So church still here at 11 on Sunday. And then uh, the service begins, I think, at 1.30 in 
at the embassy and then again that evening at 6.30 on Sunday night. So if you can, get to at least one of the services. They're going to be a blessing. And, and if you go, let me know. We'll plan to sit close to each other or whatever. So we'll, we'll have a good time together. And um, it's going to be a, a real blessing. You're not going to want to miss it. Um, and then also this Wednesday, we're beginning something new. This is kind of unique. We're doing, uh, if, if many of you may have heard of this, but it's a show 